This episode of To The Point is sponsored by Tarsus. Tarsus Pharmaceuticals applies proven science and new technology to revolutionize treatment for patients, starting with eye care. Tarsus is advancing its pipeline to address several diseases with high unmet need across a range of therapeutic categories, including eye care, dermatology, and infectious disease prevention. Tarsus is proud to announce that Xdemvi Lotolaner Ophthalmic Solution 0.25% is now available to prescribe. Welcome to Pupil Pod, where we use clinical cases to guide discussions on board review topics. I'm your host, Zilla Ball, and I'm joined today by Dr. Allison Early. Dr. Early is a cataract surgeon in Cincinnati and one of my all-time favorite Instagrammers. Dr. Early, thank you again for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to do this. As am I. So let's just go right into the case here. A patient you performed uncomplicated cataract surgery on two months prior calls your office complaining of blurry vision in that eye. You ask the patient to come into the office for a visit. Dr. Early, can you walk us through how you think about these patients and the workup that you'd want to get? Absolutely. So first, I would, of course, want to check the patient's vision, eye pressure. I would want to get their best corrected vision with a great refraction and perform an anterior segment examination first. Um, I'd want to make sure that there was no corneal edema or rebound inflammation or anything grossly apparent in the anterior segment. And if that all seemed normal, but the vision was still not correctable to where I would expect or to their baseline postoperative vision, or maybe if they weren't correctable to as good a vision that they had at their prior exam, then I would definitely want to dilate their pupil and look a little bit further with a posterior segment examination, including probably an OCT macula. Okay, and when we get the OCT, what are we looking for? Is there a diagnosis that you're thinking about right off the bat? And are there any changes on OCT that you'd look for that would kind of support that diagnosis? Yeah, so any patient who is postoperatively after an uncomplicated cataract surgery, especially if they have a drop in vision, Um, I really am thinking about a diagnosis of cystoid macular edema, or sometimes will be called Irvine gas syndrome. And this is a fairly common cause of unexplained vision change or decreased vision following even uncomplicated cataract surgery. So you're looking at the OCT for specifically cystic intraretinal fluid and low reflectivity, and you may have some diffuse retinal thickening. You can also get a fluorescein angiogram, which is really considered the gold standard for diagnosis of cystoid macular edema, although in practicality not always available. And with the advent of OCT, that has become a good proxy for evaluating for this issue. That's a great point. You know, I think usually in clinics, um, so far, I've mostly just seen us get the OCT. But if you look at the BCSC, of course, it says that the FA is the gold standard, like you pointed out. 
And I think the other important point here is that you see that petaloid appearance because the pathogenesis of CME actually involves increased perifoveal capillary permeability, and that the accumulation of fluid is actually in the inner nuclear and outer plexiform layer. And I think that that's one of the things that we get tested on pretty heavily, and it's important to understand the um, FA appearance. Exactly. So the nerve fibers in the outer plexiform layer run obliquely around the fovea, which gives it that flower-like or petaloid pattern of leakage on FA in patients with CME. So I know you said that um, usually you'll see this in uncomplicated cataract surgery patients, but you'll also see it with some complicated surgeries. What are some of the risk factors for development of CME? Yeah. So while it can happen in anybody, like you said, there's definitely patients who Preoperatively, I'm thinking ahead. So patients with uveitis, pre-existing epiretinal membrane, um, vitreomacular traction, diabetic eye disease, retinal vein occlusions, retinitis pigmentosa, if they've had previous CME or previous diabetic macular edema. So surgical risks, you can have things that, in, that occur intraoperatively that can increase your risk for postoperative CME, starting with, of course, posterior capsular rupture, especially if there's vitreous loss, um, iris prolapse, prolonged surgery, improper IOL positioning, um, things like retained lens fragments or excess postoperative inflammation, or even prolonged hypotony. So what can we do to help reduce those postoperative risks? So there have been some randomized trials that show there's a reduction in postoperative CME when using NSAIDs in the first three months. Okay, that makes sense. So our patient really presented two months after the surgery. What's the usual time course for the development of CME? Most cases of pseudophagic CME are actually fairly mild and asymptomatic, but there may be some loss of contrast sensitivity, even in the absence of decreased visual acuity. But you'll be surprised. Some patients are very sensitive to changes in their vision. And I've had patients go from 2020 to 2025, and they can tell a change. And sure enough, on their OCT, I can see a tiny little bit of cystic fluid starting. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes it can be really subtle, but patients can detect it. But we typically think of the peak incidence somewhere between 6 and 10 weeks after cataract surgery. Um, but still, the overall incidence is very small, 0.1 to about 2% of patients. So do you ever have cases where you get CME even years after surgery? In some rare cases, it can occur many years after the surgery. Um, if there's a delayed rupture of the anterior vitreous face, such as with a YAG capsulotomy or something like that. Okay. So I also was reading that up to 95% of the uncomplicated cases undergo spontaneous resolution within 3 to 12 months. But if we do see CME, what is the best way to treat it and how do you treat it in your practice? Generally speaking, I will um, make sure that the patient is on both a topical steroid as well as a topical NSAID. Um, that is typically my post-operative routine regimen, but um, I always want to make sure that patients are on both. So these two categories of medications have slightly different points of action on the inflammatory cascade. So using a steroid and an NSAID in combination helps to really inhibit that inflammation. Um, so there have been some prospective 
RCTs that showed that the combination of both had better visual outcomes than either alone. So dosing and frequency vary a little bit, especially with the NSAIDs. Um, Typically, your steroid is going to be dosed four times a day, but some of the NSAIDs are four times a day, some are once a day. It just kind of depends on which one. But that's definitely my initial approach is to treat with topical meds. We know that it can sometimes take three to six months of topicals to improve, um, and it can rebound if you stop the meds prematurely. So it's important to check back in with patients and repeat your examination and your OCT periodically during the post-operative course. And even I'll often continue the medications for a few extra weeks after clinical and OCT findings have resolved, just to be sure. Mm-hmm. And then if your topical or more conservative management is not successful, you can advance to something like a periocular steroid with a sub injection, or there are a few intravitreal or um, depot type of steroid implants that are available. And then um, if you're really in a refractory situation, there's some suggestion of using a carbonic anhydrase inhibitor, which can improve the RPE pump function. And even anti-VEGF agents have been um, used because of their role in helping with the inflammatory reaction and capillary permeability that is underlying the process. Great. And if you have a patient that you're worried could develop CME because of some of the risk factors that we talked about earlier, are there drops that you want to avoid in these patients? Are there any precautions that we need to take? Yeah. So classically, and what you'll kind of see on board questions are avoiding epinephrine and dipavephrine drops, which are historically um, what might be associated with increased risk for CME. Um, I don't typically see patients or physicians using those drops, but it's definitely something to be aware of as you approach your boards. The one that you see more typically in today's practice is prostaglandin analogs because they have been associated with some incidents of CME, especially in eyes with recent intraocular surgery, and that really goes back to that inflammatory cascade is how that occurs. Well, thank you so much. I really feel like I learned a lot today, and I just want to summarize for our listeners. So post-op CME typically occurs six to 10 weeks postoperatively, and in general, it undergoes spontaneous resolution. You really want to remember that the fluid accumulates in the outer plexiform layer, giving the characteristic petaloid appearance on FA. Treatment involves a combination of topical steroids and NSAIDs, and you really want to use a slow taper to prevent rebound. Epinephrine, dipavephrine, and prostaglandins have all been associated with increased risk of CME. So Dr. Early, before we end the episode, I ask all of my guests, if you could have dinner with one person from any time or place in the history of humanity, who would it be? Okay, I love this question because I actually feel like I have a good answer to it. And I was asked this question in one of my residency interviews, and it became a really interesting conversation because just off the top of my head, what came to me was that I would really like to have a meal with um, the person who donated their body to my gross anatomy class so that I got to learn anatomy Um, because you don't really know that much about the people who donate themselves to science and to medical education, but it's such a tremendous part of your education and learning about the human body that I think it would be really amazing to learn more about that person. 
I think that that might be my favorite answer yet. That is, <laughs> that is tragically in medicine. You feel like you know them more intimately than anybody, but at the same time, you actually don't know them at all. So I think right. that's a answer. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Dr. Early, thank you again so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure to do this. I really enjoyed it. And thank you to our listeners. Hope to see you next time on the Pupil Pod. 